Well, hello everyone. Welcome again. English service from Vida Abundante. Uh, I'm going to try to make this a little bit more relaxed. I felt like that the first couple of ones were a little bit more tense. I've never done a, a kind of podcast setting. So uh, this is my first podcast and that's why I'm touching the mic a little bit, trying to figure this out. Uh, but I hope that you've been learning a lot uh, through our book on Lamentations. Uh, we, we missed a week because we did Good Friday last week, so I hope you were able to tune in. Um, but yeah, we've been going through the Book of Lamentations. This is part three. If you haven't heard the previous two, please take a listen because I gave a big introduction. Well, not a big introduction, but I rather gave a good introduction on Lamentations the first week. And then we started dissecting chapter two last week. And, and now we're, we're still in chapter two. And I'm going to be focusing on the first 11 verses of chapter two. We, we summarized chapter two last week, believe it or not, in one verse by focusing on verse one. But now I want you to see the, the, the big panoramic view on this. And at the end, I'm going to give you guys a little bit of, of, of what's going on as far on, on a general scale. I mean, we, we're going to be learning theology through this. And, and theology is not, once again, it's not just a scholarly term or it's not just a theological term or a term that, uh, students or seminarians use but theology once again is the study of god and if we could all realize that each and every single one of us are theologians we all have our certain beliefs or constructs if we were to say of who god is and what we want him to be like but at the end of the day we have to come back to the word of god and realize what the word of god says about God because that's where he is revealed and that's where he is described. So I really want you to understand that and 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 see what God says about himself through God's word. I can say a lot of things about God. Anyone can say a lot of things about God out there, but at the end it has to be measured according to his word. So let's jump right in. Here it is in Lamentations chapter 2. We're going to be focusing on verses 2 and on. Uh, between 2 and 11. And once again, we're, we're discussing this role reversal. And what does that mean? Uh, what, what we're seeing here is God has positioned himself early on in Israel's history, ever since the time of Abraham and, and, and the promise that Abraham receives all the way extending into Moses until the formation of the nation. And, and God has been on Israel's side. God has been fighting for Israel. God is their protector. God is their provider. God is the one who is doing all of these things for his people. They're his covenant people. So we get a God of covenants, a covenant with Abraham, a covenant with Moses, and then later on a covenant with David. And, and so we get covenants that are done throughout time to, to represent God's faithfulness to his people. At the end of the day, God's always faithful to his promise and faithful to his people. And so what we get in lamentation here is because of everything we discussed this in, uh, from overviewing chapter one, we've seen that sin and the failure of God's people have brought upon themselves God's wrath. And that's why Judah at this moment is in mourning. That's why the book of is called Lamentation. It's a moment of lament because they've been destroyed. They've been taken out of their land. And what we'll read today is that their their temple, their their place of worship has been destroyed. So there's there's tears going on and there's pain here. And, and once again, this teaches us how to suffer well, especially when we're at the hands of God. 
And so the reversal has been happening here where we see God now reversing his roles. Um, and in chapter 2, we get one of the first reversals that we'll begin to see is from verse 2 and on, uh, this aspect of God reversing his promises. So read with me verse 2, and, I'll, and we'll put that up on the screen in a bit. In verse 2, this is what the word of God says. The Lord has swallowed up without mercy all the habitations of Jacob. In his wrath, he has broken down the strongholds of the daughter of Judah. He has brought down the ground in dishonor, the kingdom and its rulers. So here we get a reversal of God's promise. Now, God isn't going back on his promise, but from the beginning of time with Israel, God has always promised land. That was their mission. The mission of Moses was to guide the people of God to the promised land. And in this sense... God is removing the habitations of Jacob. That, that word, that the, the Hebrew construct of habitations with Jacob is a reminder to us and to the people in the Old Testament about God's covenant. And so what God is doing by taking away and swallowing up without any mercy the habitations of Jacob is really saying is that he's going, he's taking away what he, what he has promised. He is reversing that role of his covenant promises with Jacob that he did ever since uh, Genesis chapter 12. So when this was formed, when these promises were given, when this covenant was done, it was symbolic of God's favor over his people. God loved his people and had favor over them and so promised them a land and eventually gave it to them. And now this is reversed because now the wrath of God has broken down the strongholds of the daughter of Judah and has brought down the ground in dishonor, its kingdoms and its rulers. So this, in a sense, is a huge role reversal from God that we see from verse 2. Their kingdom and their strongholds could not contain God's wrath. Everything that they built, everything that they had pride in, was destroyed by God. Ultimately, once more, this is God's people causing this pain upon themselves because of their arrogance and their pride. In verse 3, we have another role reversal here. Another role reversal from God where he reverses his role as protector. Remember, you if you've studied a bit of the Old Testament, you've understood God protecting his people, especially Israel. And early on in the in Israel's day, God would fight for his people. God would cause other kingdoms to fall even without Israel having to raise a hand. And God was doing all that for, for his people. Ever since they got out of Egypt, God did that. And so God was always protecting his people. And that's who God is. God protects. However, in this case, in verse 3, if you read that with me, he has cut down in fierce anger all the might of Israel. He has withdrawn from them his right hand. In the face of the enemy, he has burned like a flaming fire in Jacob, consuming all around. So where we get this understanding of reversing the role is when we read he has withdrawn his right hand from them. This is very symbolic language. This, this is representing God's authority and protection. God's hand was always seen as the one fighting for Israel. God's hand was always seen as the one that would protect Israel and Judah when the kingdom split. So this is huge. This is God no longer 
protecting his people. He is no longer there. He is no longer in front of them. Rather, he's behind them. He has removed their protection. They are no longer under God's care. So they're open to attack. And we see this. That's why they were attacked and eventually destroyed. So God removes this protection from them by removing his right hand. And then upon that removal, what we get is a symbolic act of judgment. Once again, fire. Fire has come down and burned over and all around, consuming everything. This is God's judgment over his people. So in the act of no protection, God's judgment is exposed cruelly. And so now we get to verses 4 and 5, and I'm going to clump these together uh, to really drive the point across on the reversal of relationships again. I mean, we, we discussed this a little bit in verse 1 as a summary, but, but now we get to see this uh, right in front of us. Verses 4 and 5 say, He has bent his bow like an enemy. Here God is describing himself as an enemy with his right hand set like a foe and he has killed all who were delightful in in our eyes in the tent of the daughter of zion he has poured out his fury like fire there's that judgment again the lord has become like an enemy he has swallowed up israel and he has swallowed up all its palaces he has laid in ruins its strongholds and he has multiplied in the daughter of judah mourning and lamentation So these are strong words. And at the basic sense of these two verses, we get a reversal again in relationship. God is no longer for Israel. God is no longer with his people. God is no longer protecting his people. In a sense, God is no longer on their side. What is he? He's on the opposite side now. He is an enemy. And that's a very scary place to be, to have God as our enemy. And this language comes up in the New Testament a lot when before we were saved, before salvation came into being within our lives, we were once enemies, as Paul says, of God. We, we, we occurred God's wrath over us because we were his enemies. And so in this case here in Lamentation, he has bent his bow. If you can get that image in your mind, he has bent his bow like an enemy. And here we get the, the, the phrase again, right hand. God's right hand was his symbol of authority like we read, like we talked about in verse 3. But now his right hand isn't being used to protect Israel. Now his right hand is being expressed like the psalm, like the Psalter does it, as a symbol of power and as a symbol of authority. Now the right hand of God is over Israel and against Israel. The right hand that used to protect them and guard them and fight for them is now fighting against him, against Israel and Judah. And in a sense, he's extending the bow and letting the weapon release. Um, I say Israel a lot because I'm talking about covenant people. In this case, it's Judah. But I want you to realize that that covenantal aspect. It's God's people, the the kingdom of Israel in general. Uh, But in this case, it's specifically Judah. Uh, Israel has been taken up way before this. And, and so what we get here is a role reversal in God becoming their enemy, no longer to help and no longer providing for them protection. And in so doing, the eventual outcome is God's multiplication of 
mourning and lament. When God is not around, when God's presence is not palpable, when God is not fighting for them, what eventually happens is mourning and lament. But what I want you to read here is that he has multiplied in the daughter of Judah, mourning and lament. Once again, God is involved in the people's mourning and in lament. It just doesn't happen. It's very difficult to get. And we'll finalize a little bit at the end on the theological aspect of this. But but this is God again. In verses 6 through 7, we, we see now the role reversal in God uh, because he is no longer being worshipped. He is not the center of worship anymore. Uh, partly because... Israel or Judah's case, in this case, Judah was not worshiping correctly. And so what does God do in verse 6 and 7? He has laid waste his booth like a garden, laid in ruins his meeting place. The Lord has made Zion forget festival and Sabbath. And in fierce indignation has spurned king and priest. The Lord has scorned his altar, disowned his sanctuary. He has delivered into the hand of the enemy the walls of her palaces. They raised a clamor in the house of the Lord as on the day of festival. So no longer is this sound in the camp or in the tent of the Lord a sound of praise. Now it's a cry and a clamor because there is pain. God has destroyed and laid in ruins his meeting place. God isn't involved with fake and phony worship, false worship per se. These people were elevating a false sense of worship, a false idolatry towards God, and God isn't going to take that. God will not be mocked and God will not be made fun of. He will break down false worship. And this is what God is doing in the people and once again at the at the back of your head uh, and of the back in the back of your mind keep this present that this book is a lament they are in mourning because of this they're not joyful about it they're not having fun per se they are in pain and they're lamenting this and now god the worship of god is not being done so there is no more worship happening eventually well, we see that the temple is crushed. So now they can't worship. Whereas before they were worshiping falsely, now they can't worship. In verse 8, we see once again a detailed description of God's removal in his protection. We, we saw how that in verse 3, how his right hand is removed. And in verse 8, he says, The Lord determined to lay in ruins the wall of the daughter of Zion. He stretched out the measuring line. He did not restrain his hand from destroying. He caused rampart and wall to lament. They languished together. So again, it's a strong emphasis on God moving towards them with wrath and with his hand of judgment this this is what god does he destroys their walls in verse 8 the 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 wall of the daughter of zion will lay in ruin now this is important because every city or in this case jerusalem the jerusalem walled city it was their protection. It was their safety place. They were, in a sense, well off. They're a city on a hill protected by walls. And this can give them or gave them a false sense of security. So what does God do? Not only does he remove his hand from them in verse 3, 
but now he removes their protection, the protection that they thought they had from their enemies. And what was that? That was the wall. The wall now is crushed and laid in ruins and God does it to them. So God takes away their false sense of protection. These walls are made famous 150 years later in Nehemiah's time because Nehemiah has to restore these walls and he has to rebuild these broken walls that God did because of Israel and Judah's sin. So this is very important for us to to get. And now at the end of this uh, section that I wanted to emphasize on in in chapter 2, we have verses 9 and 10. So I'll read that to you. Her gates have sunk into the ground. There it is again. He has ruined and broken her bars. Her king and princes are among the nations. Are no sorry. Her king and princes are among the nations. The law is no more, and her prophets find no vision from the Lord. The elders of the daughter of Zion sit on the ground in silence. They have thrown dust on their heads and put on sackcloth. The young women of Jerusalem have bowed their heads to the ground so we get this depiction of defeat here in these last two verses of this particular section god is silent where god reverses his roles here is god is a vocal god god speaks on behalf of his people through priests through kings through prophets and what we see here is that all three are no longer in function and therefore they have no guidance they God is no longer guiding his people because he is no longer speaking to his people. So the kings, because of their wickedness, have forfeited the right to rule. They cannot rule well. The priests have no law to give here. They've forgotten and they've abandoned their law, the law of God. And most importantly, what we read here is that the prophets have no vision from the Lord. We see this in the book of Proverbs where there is no vision, the people will perish. And, and what God is doing here is, is very clear. Not only is he destroying them with his own hand, not only is he removing his protection from his hand from them or the walls from protecting them, but God is also removing his guiding voice. There is silence, and this isn't a silence of meditation. This is a silence of lament. They have nothing else to say. They have nothing else to go, and they don't hear anything from God. In the Psalter, we read this a lot. God, why are you silent? Why are you silent? Because they are in lament, and God is no longer speaking to them. So when God doesn't speak, it's usually a case of judgment, and it's caused by the nation's sin in this particular case. Well, we can conclude here, my friends. I want to end this section in Isaiah 45. You don't don't have to go there. But I love what Isaiah 45 verse 7 says. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. So this is God in control this is god providentially in control with his people we might like it we might not but this is god's word i mentioned that we we are all theologians or we should all aspire to be theologians in recognition of we all have some thought of god what do we think about god 
or in in most cases, what we want to think about God. And so as we read through these verses, they're difficult verses, difficult book of lamentations, difficult moments, difficult times that we're in. And to kind of put this together, it just sometimes gets people more depressed. But in a sense, it's it's realizing who we think God is. And so I want to get your attention to focus on this aspect of providence, God's providence involved in every aspect of our lives. And these are theological terms, but I really want you to understand that providence simply means that God is involved. God sustains. God directs all the way until the end. In a sense, he's hands on uh, everything that's happening in the world and everything that goes on in the world. So when we read through Lamentations and we see this harsh hand of God operating it, it it gets scary but once again it's God is involved if if God didn't do that then he would let creation play off into or play out on its own and and not really get involved and not really express emotion or the type of emotion that we could understand God wouldn't condescend that way or God wouldn't accommodate himself that way but God is involved and does care for his creation. If we read the book of Revelations, we'll understand that God will restore everything once more. So creation is important to God, so much so that he is going to recreate or do a regenesis to form a new uh, world. And we could talk about that later on, maybe in another podcast or so. But but this is God being involved providentially. I like the way the one of my favorite theologians, J.I. Packer, says, His hand may be hidden, but his rule is absolute. In a sense, when we don't understand or when we don't see God work, we say right now, God, we're in, in a pandemic. People are losing their jobs. People are, are scared. People are becoming depressed. People are losing money. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? And we can say, God, where, where is your hand in all of this? You know, where are you and why aren't you doing anything? And so what J.I. Parker kind of brings to mind is this sense of, of his hand could be removed, but doesn't mean that he is not absolutely still involved or have this world at its care um, what we have to understand is everyone will have a view about god and some will completely reject the notion of a god they would point to particularly in this situation the pandemic that we're in in 2020 and they would say if if there was a god god should have done something god should have warned us about this or god should have prevented this from happening and, and to us that do believe in God, what, what are we going to say and how do we respond? Well, the only th- way we can is by what the Word of God says. It, we cannot try to develop or bring about our own understanding of God and, and try to preach that or try to have that as the right depiction of who God is because we're smaller we are finite human beings. Our brains are infinitely smaller than and cannot contain the knowledge of God. We, we, we just can't. However, he has provided a book and he has provided himself in this book. And these are his words about himself. So we can trust what this book says about God because this is what God has said. For instance, what does the Bible teach? The Bible teaches that the universe and that this physical world and creation in general is governed 
by God providentially. We read that in Psalm 103, 19, Matthew chapter 5, 45, Psalm 104, verse 21. God, the, the word of God also teaches that he is over the affairs of the nations. We read that in Job chapter 12, verse 23. He is involved in the birth of human life from the very beginning. First Samuel chapter 16, verse 1, Psalm 139, verse 16. He is involved in the success and in the failures of our very own lives. Psalm chapter 75, verse 6. He is involved in the incidentals or in the insignificant details of our lives. Psalm chapter 75, verse 6. I mean, sorry, uh, Psalm chapter 16, verse 13, and Matthew chapter 10, verse 30. Uh, that's where he talks about the, he knows the hairs on our head. Like, that's how God, that's how much God is involved. Uh, he is involved in the protection of the righteous. Psalm chapter 4, verse 8. And he supplies for the people in need. Genesis chapter 22, verse 14. Most importantly, God answers prayer. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. And God will ultimately punish the wicked. Uh, so these are all things that God does and is involved in from every aspect of life, of human life. God is God's providence is involved. He is working and in control of everything that we do. So friends, don't be discouraged. Don't don't be heartbroken that we're not going to see an outcome anytime soon. Because even if we don't see or if things don't get better, we can still trust that God is in control. Not because I say it or not because theologians say it or not because that's a theological thing to say. Rather, because we read from scripture that this is what God does with his creation. He is the sustainer. If you were with us on, on Easter Sunday, Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 through 20 depicts this creator God through Jesus Christ who sustains the world so he will sustain the united states and every other part of this world and since the whole universe so friends thank you once more for hanging in there we've made this a little bit longer maybe just to get you guys a little bit more into the word of god especially during the midweek when when they're i mean you're really basically not doing anything anyway so hang in there and keep studying the word of God, keep preach, keep hearing the word of God, and then, yeah, preach the word of God, too, to your friends. This is a good time for you to preach it. Uh, we're going to continue through uh, Lamentations for the next couple of weeks. We don't know how long. We miss you guys. We encourage you to share this message with other people and, and get them listening. There's other people that need to know that God is in control of all things. Uh, but we hope to see you soon and uh, tune in on Sunday. We, will, can't, we can't wait to see you virtually on Sunday morning at 9 a.m.